0: This is Dr. Charles Parker and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal and we're really pleased to have you on board here today. We're going to have yet another interesting guest. It's going to Talk to us about some of the things we need to know about food. We're going to touch on get this CBD, a little bit of the discussion about marijuana and whether it's healthy, not healthy. what do you do with it? Well, it's, that is a big, deep dive, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I think we can hint about it a little bit. And our guest is a guest we had back at number 132 at CoreBrain Journal. Dr. LJ. Rose, Dr. L.J, thank you for coming on board.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: So We're pleased to have you here. Before we get started, we'll just say a couple words from our sponsors, and then we'll get started. We'll talk a little more about Dr. LJ's background and go on from there. So regarding the sponsors, specifically DHA, Direct Health Access Laboratories, you listeners already know how much we love the reality of data here at CBJ. We want to find out what's really going on with brain function instead of chasing appearances. And our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory, they set up a new standard for some of the hottest topics we covered here at uh, CBJ, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. And you may have heard the last episode from Dr. Bill Walsh on the end of autism covering a lot of these materials. And all these issues directly affect brain function. And remember, at Direct Health Access, if they can serve professionals in Nigeria, they can certainly help you out in Fargo, so stay tuned more at mid uh, mid episode and then we 're also very pleased to welcome on board uh, the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams here in North Virginia, Virginia, who provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and global level. Why do we care about global because they are significant tricare providers, and they have a Different way of approaching residential care. And their uh, CEO over there, Rob McCartney, is a terrific guy. And his thing is we're not going to do, do timeout. We're not going to put people in seclusion. We're going to work with people where they are and develop teams. And we really want to deal with the family long distance wherever they are. And that's where the global concept comes in. So we see treatment failure so often from these five- and ten-day psychiatric hospitalizations that don't get down to the deal the the bottom line and what they do at uh the barry robinson center they really deal with a more comprehensive holistic family uh, intervention system that is memorable we send people over there all the time so having said that let's talk about dr rose dr lj rose so she is an international speaker a therapist author of eight books a contributor to the esteemed Huffington Post and the even more esteemed, in our opinion, Dr. Mercola's website. She's an e-learning specialist. She's the founder of the Natural Wellness Academy, and we'll have that link. It's easy, naturalwellnessacademy.org. We'll have that link on the show notes. It's an online program certifying health and life coaches, uh, and it also uh, certifies hypnotherapists and gut health specialists. Get this, folks. In 14 countries, she's been around. As the former Director of International Development for the American Board of Hypnotherapy, she pioneered the training and certification of clinical hypnotherapists in many countries, including Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, Thailand, and Mexico. She resides with her husband and her large family in Tampa, Florida. So, Dr. LJ, welcome aboard. Let's let's talk about what brings you here today. So, what are you doing right now? You had some uh, interesting developments to share with us.
1: Well, we've just launched a couple new courses through our Natural Wellness Academy, which is now in 15 countries, and wow. uh, we love having students from all over the world. We're kind of really all about mind, body, spirit. So, I had a lot of people that were very fascinated with the module that we had in our health and life coaching. So we started a spiritual wellness counseling certification. And then as of last night, we started a certification in CBD and medical marijuana, because this is such a burgeoning field growing by leaps and by bounds and people need information. So we are training coaches to understand how to guide people into that world.
0: So let me just interrupt real quickly, because there are some people here that aren't as sophisticated as you are and that whole thing of CBD, boom, that went right past us. okay? Medical marijuana. Yes, people know a little bit about medical marijuana. They certainly know what THC is. The average person on the street has some idea of THC, which is not the medical marijuana, (laughs) although some people claim that it is, and I think people do feel better with THC. We see it all the time. The problem is that it's not the same species as CBD. Could you tell us a little bit about those differences, and we'll just talk a, a little bit about that whole situation, the evolution of that uh, intervention system?
1: Well, backing up a little bit, actually, the THC is part of the medical marijuana, so right now, where it stands is that you have uh, they have discovered over a hundred cannabinoids from the cannabis plant from the hemp plant, and they're still studying a lot of these, but right now, the ones that are being studied the most are the THC, which is tetrahydrocannabinoids, and then the cannabidiol. And so that is a really hard word to pronounce. So they call that CBD. CBD is the non-psychoactive form of cannabis. It does not get you high. And it is now legal in 50 states. And really what kind of drove that was because they were having such incredible results, for instance, with children with epilepsy. One of the foremost cases was that case of that that young girl, Charlotte Fiji, who was having over 300 seizures a day, and they were able to reduce it to just a few seizures and even days without any seizures. So that finally kind of led the charge to make CBD legal, in 50 states. And you can buy CBD now online. I even saw some in the mall the other day. They had a kiosk there selling it, but it's not all created equal. And from what I'm learning, it's best to really do some some deep sourcing from where you get your CBD oil and it should be something that has been tested. There should be studies, biologic studies on it because you want to make sure that you have strains that were not grown with pesticides that do not have any mold because that can create other problems in the body. And also it's best to get the full spectrum because a lot of them are isolating down to this cannabinoid that is the cannabidiol. But yet with these other 112, you know, they've already identified 113 cannabinoids. They There are already so many other benefits that they're finding. I mean, a lot of it, it's really like essential oils where there is a whole pharmacology available in them too. So you can take CBD. Uh, there is never any uh, chance of overdosing on CBD. Less is more as a way of taking it. And it is very effective in anything from pain control. It's actually a reuptake inhibitor, so they're working with people to overcome this, this incredible opioid crisis that we have in the country right now. Um, essentially, really, Dr. Parker, what happens is that we are meant to be in a synergistic, symbiotic relationship with the cannabis plant. That plant has what are called phytocannabinoids, and we have endocannabinoids throughout our entire body, from the brain all the way down to the gut, into our um, into our bones, and most of our systems, like the respiratory system, the immune system. And up until the year 1937, cannabis was part of our medical pharmacopoeia. And then it became demonized. It was actually a political stunt that that happened. And it was because of this man named uh, Henry Anslinger, who was a nephew of Mellon, you know, of Carnegie Mellon. Mm -hmm. He was married to to his niece. And he was the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And when they decided to suspend prohibition, Anslinger didn't want to lose his position. So they literally decided he is on record of before 1937 saying that cannabis was fine. And then they decided that they needed a new demon. They needed to turn people against uh, something, so they decided to turn it against cannabis, and even the name marijuana is a racist term because that 's not what it was called. They decided to take the two most common Spanish names, Maria and Puana, and call it marijuana and they, you know, they associated, uh, they had that movie called Reefer Madness, and they associated to, pu- to musicians, many of them being African Americans, and to the Mexicans, and they created this whole myth about people becoming insane and committing mayhem, which is anything but the truth. If you've ever known anybody who has gotten high, they are not the type of people who commit mayhem. You know, you're, you're not going to have bar fights or anything like that. I think if they're going to fight about anything, it's over the last piece of pizza.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> so point.
1: it was actually this man. Uh, who demonized it and it's been you know they, they eventually and, and, and Nixon wasn't a big fan either you know he was looking for a way to uh, the people who were his counterculture you know he wanted to um, control them so they started actually arresting people like John Sinclair in 1969 that the Beatles came out and did this whole concert to get him out of jail so it, it, it's really almost criminal what they've done because there are whether you believe in it or not there are so many good positive Medical benefits to either the THC form or CBD, and a lot of people are afraid to try any of them because of this misinformation.
0: Well, thanks so much. You know that helps me a lot because uh, honestly, I've seen the negatives on THC. Uh, I don't know if CBD is addictive. We've seen people that actually physiologically do become addicted to THC. I have a, no experience whatsoever with CBD, but they would come in, and, and one of the things that made me Less inclined. It was sort of the direction of my original question, because we'd see people come in—adolescents, um, adults—who'd been smoking THC and, and using it in all kinds of different ways. When uh, I was running an active drug rehab program, mm-hmm. and I did that for years, and then we actually became so uh, proficient at it, we had people coming down from Canada to our treatment uh, facility. But the bottom la- bottom line—was individuals who are smoking a lot of pot would come in and we'd look at their intake, you know, and, and a big intake would even be today's terms. They didn't do blunts back then, but it was that long ago, Uh (laughs) but, you know, do a couple blunts a day and they'd been doing it for several years. And I'd say, watch this guy because in two weeks, right around 14 days, he's going to have a really significant storm emotionally. And I'd put it on the front of the chart back when we'd had paper charts and say, let's see what happens. And so we'd go along and we'd be in our working with the uh, clients in the program. And somebody would say, hey, Henry's freaking out back there. You're just throwing chairs and whatever. And the bottom line was, let's take a look at the date. I mean, it was almost to the day. It wasn't every to the day, but there would be a psychological physiological withdrawal, just as if they were on another product. So now that's, again, it's high high dosage. Mm-hmm. That's true. But on the other hand, what the other thing we saw is frequently the people who were smoking weed, the uh, the weed itself would interfere with the, effect, uh, the uh, effectiveness, pardon me, of psych drugs. So mm-hmm. you'd be trying to treat them in this way, and then they'd be smoking the weed, and the whole thing would get completely messed up so well, it, it, that's it, what my yeah. negative was so help me with that if you would please.
1: well i mean they see it as being a gateway drug i mean i know that's always been one of the um one of the aspects i you know i'm a baby boomer i've known mm-hmm. people all my life getting stoned i've never known anybody get violent i've never known anybody to be addicted to it but of course you have a different background than i do mm-hmm. in that case uh, cbd is not addictive as a matter of fact if you were high on THC and you use CBD, it would bring you down because it binds to the C2 receptor and it has that reuptake inhibitor. So it's going to stop the psychoactive effect. You cannot overdose on it. In fact, less is more. Um, The only thing is some people might respond with some anxiety. That is really the only drawback that they have seen to CBD. And if you source out CBD um, from places that do not do these biologic and these testing, you could wind up with something that has mold and that can affect the body. But what it does do is it works with this endocannabinoid system, which they only really discovered about 20 years ago. So because um, over... Let's say, you know, being a baby boomer, our food sources have changed so much. You know, we have all of these GMOs. We have all of these additives in our food. And the big key word nowadays in health is inflammation. And inflammation is always that stage one, two, and three before developing some very serious diseases. And they're always linked to inflammation. And inflammation happens because we don't have the cannabinoids in our system. So even something like CBD, taking it as you would a supplement will help Uh, you know sometimes what happens is the body is just so starved for the cannabinoids that it goes through this process of inflammation and they are doing just amazing work right now in research i just read an article just the other day that they have found that medical marijuana can help with leukemia it's actually been known to destroy cancer cells so i think there is so much good and if it is used in a way that can be controlled um, the way they're doing it right now medical Marijuana is legal in 30 states in the United States. CBD is legal in 50 states. I'm not talking about recreational marijuana. I have my own belief systems about it. I think it's 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 a heck of a lot better than drinkers, just because I've known drinkers and I've being a therapist myself for many years. I've seen people ruin their lives. I, I see sometimes if people are really dependent upon marijuana that they could become. Uh, maybe where they lose certain motivations, but on the other hand, some people are very motivated and very creative. So seeing some of the good things that they're doing, for instance, in Colorado, who has been legal before any other state, all of the money that it's bringing into the state, all of the federal um, things that they can fund now, helping veterans out, helping the homeless out. I think it needs a a new look. But even in terms of CBD and cannabis, I think people need education. And that's why I felt like we needed to provide education so that there is this um, ability to help people to navigate the world of this and to help them. And and there's so many different delivery systems to Dr. Parker. I mean, there's everything from suppositories to nasal inhalers. Uh, It's been incredible, for instance, with, you know, nowadays we have so many people with Crohn's disease. CBD and THC are almost miracle drugs when it comes to intestinal discomfort, like Crohn's disease. They're finding also with IBS that it's helping a lot. And I think something like one in five Americans have irritable bowel syndrome right Mm -hmm. now. So it seems to me that we need more research and we need more education about this. So it's new to me also Mm -hmm. as as something that I'm studying and I'm learning along with uh, every day I'm reading new articles and we are... You know, as fast as we get the information, we're kind of translating it, you know, to uh, we're just starting now to get students. Some of my students who are in my health and life coaching programs or into my into the gut program are very interested in this certification. So they're coming on board and we're getting the course ready to actually start delivering right after Labor Day.
0: Well, a quick comment on that. And then uh, we have another important question to ask you in just a second. But uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. That's one of the reasons we wanted to have you back, because you have this information. And it's one of the things we're trying to do here at Brain Journal is to bring whatever is going on into the fold with the public, so the public can be more informed about these discussions. Now, in that regard, this isn't the question I'm going to ask in a second. But what I'd like to do is encourage you to please send me a link. That whole thing on inflammation was very interesting. Uh, I haven't heard that before. And I think that would be interesting to our listeners as well. So we put that in the show notes. If if you could send me a link, one or two articles on Yes. Those kinds of things. It'd be great. We could, if you had six six articles, no problem. Well, mm-hmm. what I'll do is I'll put the active link on and put them in the show notes so people can review them and consider them and see what's going on with it. So
1: I would be happy to do. There's a lot of studies out there. Even Dr. Mercola is a big fan of medical marijuana and CBD. So I'll even include some of his articles too.
0: See, that'd be great. So then we have to take a, a quick moment here, a break for our. Uh, mid-roll sponsors, and we're going to h- hear from them in just a second. But before we come, uh, before we go, I want to say we're going to come back to, and that is we've had an excellent brief introduction by Dr. LJ on THC and CBD. Thanks so much for sharing that. But what we want to do is come back and we talk about another interesting favorite topic of hers, and that is this whole thing of raw food. We talked a bit, a, a little bit back in our Initial interview with Dr. L.J., but I think what we need to really do is get further into it. Some of the specifics of how to achieve those kinds of uh, food, um, how to change our diet and use it effectively. So we'll be at, we'll be back in just a moment, folks. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials, and those very very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old improved care those next mandatory steps should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges from family to peers to school diagnostically from defiance to depression on every level for families including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know? We refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing. So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash CORE. Well, you folks already know that here at Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's dhala forward slash core. So it's funny, Dr. LJ, we're back now. You know, I'm just not a radio announcer. <laughs> take these breaks, I'm like, I love the conversation, but I got to like hit myself to take the break. You know, it's like one of those things. So, but I do think that the, I do appreciate the fact that you're bringing this up. And I think it's important to go on to the next one as well, because uh-huh. you've got some really cool things to talk about there. We touched on it, as I said before. And one of the things I asked offline before we got started is, you know, because I've heard a little bit about it. I haven't done it myself. You obviously have done it. You're, you're aware of it. In fact, it helped you out. And part of your story is that you had some turnarounds understanding that. If you'd share a little bit about that personal story, but take us down, if you will, to how does one get started? What's the focus, like a really basic way to get started on really energizing yourself more nutritionally with raw foods?
1: Well, as I mentioned last time, I, in, uh, I think it was about 2007, 2008, I was diagnosed with having an autoimmune disorder. And they were non-specific about what it was called. They were not naming them. Like nowadays you hear about the different ones like Hashimoto's and lupus and, and all that. They I had an autoimmune disorder which involved my getting shingles. Approximately every three or four months I would have an onset, which was extremely uncomfortable. And uh, when I visited my doctor, he said, you know, LJ, Having shingles in less than 18 months apart, you are a risk now for permanent neurological or even brain damage. That just freaked me out. So I, at this point, I kind of understood food allergies. Um, there was information that was coming out about gluten. Uh, I had tried to do an elimination diet where you get rid of the typical allergens, which are gluten and soy, corn, dairy, food. Uh, to name a few, sugar, of course. Mm-hmm. I tried that, and then you little by little, you add them. I, 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 I knew that I had something going on with, um, with food allergies, and obviously something was going on with inflammation in my body. And I started to do research because... Being a person that depends on my brain <laughs> for the work that I do, that terrified me. And the, the, what I kept coming across, in fact, in three days in a row, the, it kept coming to me that raw food was a really good way to reduce inflammation in the body and to kind of do a reset on your body. Just like people who do a detoxification, it's a reset on the body. I didn't really know much about it. So somebody recommended to me that I would start with green smoothies. This was like, end of 2008. So it was still fairly new. Victoria Butenko had written this book about the green smoothie revolution. And I started following her advice. And I see that people are doing smoothies now. We talked a little bit before we came out about the Nutribullet and how green smoothies are becoming kind of part of, of a lot of people's morning routine or afternoon routine. But most people don't understand. It's the same type of thing with, with CBD. It's less is more. And um, I'll, I'll speak about that in a minute. But a lot of people say, what is the difference between juicing and doing a green smoothing? Well, let's just say a lot of it is like you have to be really rich to juice a lot because <laughs> you need an awful lot of greens and fruits. And, of course, you want to stay as organic as possible in order. Very quickly because it doesn't have any fiber in it, and so it's going to oxidize very quickly.
0: Okay, let me interrupt you for just a second because we had a quick—we uh, missed you for just a second there.
1: Yeah, I noticed it said something about my internet being unstable, but
0: that's I- okay. We'll come back and just say because you were you were saying you were, you were just talking about the green smoothie, and being rich, and right after that.
1: (laughs) Okay, so to do juicing, you really have to buy a lot of product, and you're going to throw a lot of things away, you know, the pulp, because you're just drinking the juice. And I think juicing is really wonderful if you're doing a detoxification, if you have cancer, you're trying to do a reset on your body, you want to, you want to be as gentle as possible to your body, but you, it's, it's a waste. It costs a lot of money. Um, and, but essentially, if you think about juicing, the, the reason juicing is so good is because you are getting the essence of the plant, which is really the lifeblood uh, for instance, in greens, chlorophyll is very similar to blood. I think it's just instead of having iron, you have, you have magnesium as its base. Um, the, 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 the rest of the molecules are the same except that in chlorophyll you have magnesium and in human blood you have iron. So it is the lifeblood of the plant, and it's excellent for you if you're doing a detoxification. So when people do smoothies, there the benefit of doing a smoothie is that you can even keep a smoothie if it's covered in your refrigerator up to seventy-two hours. You're not you get the fiber, and the fiber means it's not going to oxidize within twenty minutes, and. Um, it's, you know, it's, you don't have as much waste as when you do a green smoothie. But nowadays when people do smoothies, they have this idea that, oh, well, if this is good for me, then I'm going to throw everything in here and it's going to make it even better. And I truly believe that less is more because if you think about it, if you make a juice, you're not, you wouldn't even think about adding milk to your juice or yogurt to your juice or protein powder to your juice or all of the many things that people are adding to their smoothies. So I'm kind of of the school and this is how I started. Every once in a while, if I'm going to be gone for a long time and I'm not going to get a chance to eat, I might add a little coconut oil, I might add some hemp seed, or I might add some uh, flax seed, or a little bit of a a pea protein-based protein powder. But usually my smoothies are just greens, about 40 to 60%. Usually it's good to start with 40% and do 60% fruit because it's something that you get used to, and then kind of switch it around where you're 60-40, because the greens are are really what our body
0: is starving for. So say that again, excuse me for interrupting. So you'd start with 40% uh, greens and 60% root. No, you, that's where you're Fruit,
1: going. fruit, yeah. Oh, fruit. No, I, I, couldn't, use, I couldn't quite get what yeah. you said there, yeah. You start out, so if you have a regular blender where you have your blades at the bottom, like a Vitamix or just even a regular blender, you want to put your greens in because you want them to be broken down as much as possible. Put them in first. Okay. Um, so this way you can really absorb the nutrients um, much easier. They're going to go to your bloodstream. And then you would put your fruit in there. If you want to use fruit, you can use frozen fruit. You want to use fresh greens. And then you're going to add, you want to have some liquid. And the liquid I would recommend, I wouldn't put juice in there because juice is very high in sugar. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to raise your blood sugar levels. So you want to either use water or coconut water is very good too. And then put some ice in because a a cold smoothie goes down a lot easier, especially when you're not used to greens. If you're going to use some of those bitter greens like collard and kales. And if you're using something like collard and kales, Definitely get rid of that rib in the middle. It makes all the difference in the world. If you're juicing, use the rib because you'll get a lot of juice out of it. If you're making a smoothie, it's going to make your smoothie very bitter and it's going to make it real foamy. It has a texture that people don't like. So just get rid of the – you can either sometimes – dogs like those ribs or put them in your compost pile or use them for your juicer. And then you're going to blend it. Now if you have one of those NutriBullets, I have both a Vitamix and a NutriBullet and my husband and I drink very very different smoothies, so I use the NutriBullet. Then you want to put your greens on at the top because if you're using a NutriBullet, you're putting that blade in and turning it upside down. So you want to have the greens closer. That is a good way for people to start. Uh, but again, you know that idea of less is more. I I personally don't think that when you add those dairy products or that nut milk or that yogurt, I think it's too much for your body to to process. And Mm -hmm. the idea is that you want to give your body something very, very simple first thing in the morning. So it's very good that even before you go to your coffee that you start with something like a green smoothie. So that's a good beginner's way to do raw foods.
0: Great. So let me ask you this question because I'm a numbers guy. I love getting the numbers hooked up with brain science. (laughs) So just run that past the 40-60 split. So your start was one thing and then you went to more fruit later on. I couldn't say that whole thing again because I didn't quite hear what you said the first time.
1: Somebody just starting out on smoothies probably would be best using about 40% greens. You know, you just eyeball fruit. it in about okay. 40% greens to about 60% fruit. Because if you're not used, if you're not a person that's used to eating kale and collards and some of these others, actually, if you're not used to eating a lot of greens, try baby spinach because it doesn't even taste green. It will look green, but it won't even have the taste of green. Uh, you can use either greens. Like I love cilantro and cilantro is wonderful because it, it actually bonds to heavy metals in your blood stream and and takes them outside of your body parsley is very strong but if you like parsley you can use that so you can use just about any green salad greens except for uh, romaine lettuce is fine iceberg lettuce iceberg lettuce is mainly cellulose and there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of um
0: Nutrient.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of nutrients, and it's probably just going to give you gas, quite frankly. Yeah. So that's about the only one that I wouldn't recommend. And then, as you start to get used to your greens and crave your greens and feel really good with it, you might want to switch that around and use about 60% green to you. about 40%. Because remember, fruit does have sugar. It's a good form of sugar, but the more sugar you put in your body, the more it raises your insulin levels and the more likely you are to store fat.
0: Great, so now let me ask you this question. That's thank you for summarizing that again, because uh, if I missed it in the first time, then I think others would have missed it too, and I just appreciate your uh, elaborating on that. So now let's talk about some cautionary notes because this is an area of uh, deep experience that you've had. So what would you say coming into a new person, like what happens when we're writing for medications? They say, well, you know, just tell me what are the side effects I'm looking for? I mean, I kind of resist doing this because I really don't want to take medications. Lay out what could happen to me, worst-case scenario. Now, this is not going to be a worst-case scenario thing, and you've alluded a little bit to some of the things that could happen, but what would you caution a complete novitiate, a new, a new person uh, to it? What would you say, hey, here's some things to pay attention to when you go on down the road, besides just the really good advice you gave us on percentages there?
1: I don't think that there's really any bad side to doing green smoothies. If you were just going to add that um, and have that as one of your meals, then you're having about 30% of your day being raw. I I know that some people have to be careful with the greens. If they have blood clot problems, you know, if they are taking that kind of medication, then those are the only people that you have to, uh, be careful. There's also green powders that you can use too. When I travel, I tend to do that. I'll find the, the least obnoxious juice and then put green powder in it. And one of those shaker bottles is really good too. Um, I, I think that for most people, if you're going to try a raw foods diet, I literally, I'm a kind of person that I leap before I look. And so <laughs> I, from one day to the next, went almost completely raw. And it was wonderful for me. I mean, within three weeks, I felt like I was a normal person. Again, I was pretty much spending most of my day in bed uh, the inflammation was so bad in my body. My autoimmune disorder, I felt foggy. I had that foggy mind, and I felt awful. Um, so I think that the, the, really the, the downside would be that, that there's really only two things. Um, you might detox rather quickly if you were to go to all raw food. And um, the other thing, too, is that all raw food does not mean that you do all dried fruits and nuts. Yes, those are raw, and they they do form part of a raw foods diet. But in terms of nuts and seeds... Uh, For instance, this is a whole element of raw foods is that we tend to soak our seeds and nuts to create more bioavailability and to get rid of the anti-nutrients. So these are the types of things that you wanna learn about. If you do a lot of dried fruits, that's a lot of sugar if you're using eating a lot of dried fruits you should brush your teeth because it could be bad for your teeth to get cavities and the other thing too is that when you go really gung-ho like i've seen people do most um humans and especially americans we really tend to be all or nothing people you know we pendulum swing and so i think if if somebody i've seen a lot of people go very very high raw you know eating something like 80 to a close to 100% of their their meals being raw and you reach this point that it's not sustainable anymore because we live in the real world you know you go to a barbecue and somebody's making something and you really want to have that and then you judge yourself so you tend to go and then you know pendulum swing in the other direction it's like being on a diet you have a bad day Mm -hmm. an indulgent day and you're like ah screw it you know I'm just gonna (laughs) just gonna order a pizza now so Mm -hmm. you know so I would say kind of build into it and that's why I created what was called the raw fusion lifestyle and the idea is that here's what's good about raw food. Raw food is, is almost all pre-digested. It's really easy on the body. So we, so much of our, our life force energy, something like 60 70% of our life force energy goes into digesting our food on a given day. So that's why people who eat a lot of raw food have a lot of energy because that energy is not going towards this digestion. Mm. And also food that has been cooked has lost a lot of its nutrient profile. You know like I, I I give a good metaphor with if you're building a building and you have bricks and you're just piling bricks on top of each other, you're going to have a, a storm come by or a big wind, and they're going to fall down. You need what do you need between those bricks? You need mortar, so your bricks are your macronutrients: your proteins, your fats, your carbohydrates. We need those to live, but we also need the micronutrients, which are your uh, your vitamins, your minerals, your um, your trace minerals, your your antioxidants. And that is why when you eat a lot of uh, processed foods, a lot of foods that when you go down the aisles of a supermarket, you know they say stay along the perimeters. Most of that food is genetically modified, or it's processed or it has a lot of sugar in different forms has a lot of corn which is actually really hard on the body a lot of allergens which are hard on the body and so we're we're in if you eat a food that has been from fast food restaurants it doesn't have a lot of micronutrients in it so eventually your body is going to break down they did a study back in 2012 that said that if you eat Fast food two times a week. Now, come on. We all know people who eat fast food two times a week. It's easy to do. You are 33% more likely to develop type 2 diabetes. But get this one, four times a week. Four times a week. 80% more likely to die of cardiovascular disease.
0: Wow. I'll, I'll,
1: send you, I'll, I'll send you that link also for that's an a article. Big deal. I That'd
0: be you. good. I'd like to include that in the show notes. So let me ask you this question because we see so many people, and we did uh, allude to... Crohn's disease, IBS in the previous section there we were talking about, uh, mm-hmm. Ian. Uh, the next question is, are there any cautionary notes about somebody who has a preexisting gastrointestinal disorder like constipation or diarrhea? Is there anything, anything that you would say, hey, this is something to pay attention to?
1: Well, not all food is created equal when you have gastrointestinal disorders. I have IBS, and there are certain foods that I love, like I love broccoli and, and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, but I can't digest them well. So they did the study out of Monash University uh, in Melbourne, Australia, and they created what was called the FODMAP diet, and that stands for like... Fructo, all It's all about these sugars and, and sugar alcohols. Um, I don't remember every single name of it, but I'll also send you a link that I wrote about this. Um, and what they found is that in people who have a, a certain percentage of people can't digest a lot of these foods that are high FODMAP foods. And so they're carried into the small intestine. I'm sorry, they're carried from the small intestine into the large intestine. Mm -hmm. And it carries either a lot of water that creates diarrhea or uh, there's not enough water which creates the constipation. So so IBS uh, sufferers usually go between constipation to diarrhea. Um, Some are a little bit more on one side uh, than the other. And it's these foods that become non-digestible. So there's a whole list of foods. And I remember when I was first studying it, I was like, oh, my gosh. For me, the Holy Trinity are like mushrooms and garlic and onion. And those were very high FODMAPs. So I have an article that I wrote on my website that I'd be happy to send to you. And it also links to a couple charts. Dr. Oz even did a a show on it. It has a whole chart of the foods. And what you do is you do a 10-day trial where you get rid of these foods from your diet and then you might add one back like every 48 to 72 hours and see how your body does with it.
0: Gotcha that sounds great if you send those over that'd be great. So there's another question so that's helpful because what you're saying is hey we don't really have to be too cautionary about it we just have to get started see where it goes and know a little bit more about what we're doing and we'll look at these articles that you're going to send us. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that occurred to me because I've seen this happen in my practice quite frequently once I became aware of it several years ago, and that's the Herxheimer reaction. So a person can have, uh, I've seen people who lose weight, have a Herxheimer reaction just by actually losing the weight and, and uh, um, uh, what would you say uh, activating the toxins that are in the fat. Now, as you know, the whole Herxheimer reaction thing, can, they can occur anywhere. They could be with the candida. Mm -hmm. They can be in the fat. The question is, do people doing this kind of a diet, do they sometimes experience an excessive burn-off and have a Herxheimer reaction? Is it something that a person would need to be warned of or paid attention to?
1: When I was writing the Raw Fusion Living book in 2010, I interviewed probably about 40 experts in the field. And I even included in my first edition of the book, I even had um, summaries from them in them. And I really never heard of anybody having that kind of a reaction okay. from it. So yeah. I, I, I just think, again, you know, you want to do things slowly but surely. Yeah. I, you, if somebody's going to do really heavy-duty detoxing, like I've done the, um, the Master Cleanse a few times, I think somebody's more likely to have a reaction like that if they're doing the Master Cleanse and they're not really being um, followed well. I mean, I think, you know, master cleanse is something that you could just go online and you can learn about doing and doing yourself. But uh, I remember the first time I did it, we have a condominium down in Sarasota and I was going to just go down there. I wanted to just be near the ocean and do my detox and my husband said, no, nothing doing. I mean, I think what you're doing is so radical. I think you're going to wind up in the hospital. I need to see you while you're doing it. Actually, it's wonderful. The first time I did the master cleanse, I felt absolutely fantastic and had no bad results. But I have heard of people having um, reactions from the master cleanse and then having to go off of that. But I haven't really heard of people going doing that with raw food. It's just that with raw food, again, you, have to, you really have to balance out and have a lot of fresh foods and not depend on these dehydrated foods and a lot of nuts and and seeds. And um, you you really can't go wrong with having a lot of fresh, unprocessed food in your diet.
0: And really, every time you say that, you're really talking about vegetables because every time you've qualified it, you qualified it away from things that would be more animal products and nuts and fats and going down towards the vegetable products.
1: Well fats are good I mean it's just that the more you can stay away from fractionated fats like lately for some reason I've been having problems with my gallbladder and it turns out that I have gallstones and um, I find that is uh, and I live a lot on seeds I do a lot of um, pumpkin and, and sunflower seeds I am a vegetarian sometimes even vegan and I stay away. Um, from animal products. So where I get a lot of my protein are from my greens and from my, believe it or not, greens have an awful lot of protein in them and very easily digestible, more digestible than a steak. Uh, And then again, if people eat meat, I never have any really judgments about what people want to eat, but I find that when I eat the fractionated fats, like the things that are made with, um, you know, with oils or, or butters, that will cause me a lot more problem than if I'm eating an avocado or if I'm having, um, having, for instance, the seeds or nuts. So it's it's always when you you want to get food in in its uh, purest form as much as possible. But then again, we live in the world. I sometimes eat processed food. I go out to eat, and I sometimes eat cheese and uh, even every once in a while I'll have some fish. But uh, it's it you know it's it's really all Dr. Park. It's about balance. Finding that balance in your life.
0: Well, I think the important point that you're making so well here is the concept of making a healthy shift. Period. Mm-hmm. that you start thinking about what you're actually taking and thinking a little more aggressively than, hey, all this is okay. It's not, Because what happens, there's a major denial that's going on in our country yes, yes, regarding yes. what's what we take into our system. And one of the reasons to have conversations with a person that's been down the road, such as you have, who had a flaming, serious, whoever heard of having shingles that frequently that you just come in and do a diet and change it. Well, that's that's an important thing. This is not hearsay. This is experience, and and that's two different things. And and I think you're bringing to the public and saying, look, we all folks have to be more serious about it. Then you have the additional experience of working with professionals who do this all the time. Mm -hmm. So you don't just have your own personal experience. You've got hundreds of people all over the world who are trying to get this right, who have the same kind of attitude, but also have experienced. Similar failures. Mm -hmm. What doesn't work? How can we get this to work better? And well,
1: yeah, and I've trained people all over the world now to be health coaches uh, and to work with people. And so, you know, they're kind of going out and having these experiences and sharing them with us, too. And we're, and we're really about bio-individuality. There is not one diet that works for everybody. So our students study bioindividuality and we compare and contrast really everything to the raw fusion. And, and there are people that do very, very well on paleo. I wouldn't do well on paleo because I, I just literally just most of my life have not eaten meat so mm-hmm. it would be hard for me. Although they do have a diet that's called Pagan, which is kind of a paleo vegan too. <laughs> Believe it or not, that is a thing. I haven't um, heard about that one. You know, and I find veganism was hard for me because I, I I can't even digest beans. Beans are hard on me too, probably, because of the idea. So you just mm-hmm. have to find what works, but be willing to try new things. And um, we eat, you know, we, we talked about my background in the mind, you know, in the subconscious mind, and we're programmed from an early age, Uh what makes us feel good, you know, what what releases that dopamine, you know, the salty, the sweet, the fat, and makes us feel good. What mommy gave us, you know, that cookie when we fell down and made us feel better and what we ate with our family reunions and our holidays. So it's uh Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, said it's easier to change a person's religion than the way they eat.
0: Yeah. That's that's very, you know, that's heavy heavy duty a recommendation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing. We talk about things like this all the time. There are so many things that are really difficult to change uh, in whenever you're talking about self care and self management. I mean, individuals, the basic trend is to be passive and not mm-hmm. active. So, you know, we see that we have to work with people very diligently to get them to become responsibly active in their own care and to have a, an additional positive path to really think about these things more thoroughly, I mean, we owe folks like you a big debt of gratitude for coming on, talking about these things straightforwardly, and we're really looking forward to the various uh, links that you sent us, because I think your show notes are going to be deep. You can just go in there and look at the links and and take them to different places and really become familiar with, with the real evidence, the science behind why you're recommending what you're recommending, so...
1: Yes. It's really just about becoming more conscious about what you eat. So I recommend to people, you know, if you're listening, start to get in the habit, you know, it's all about habits, um, is is that if you're going to make a food choice, think, am I adding or am I subtracting right now? You know, there are foods that literally subtract from your health, from your well-being, from your energy, and there are foods that are going to add to that. So if you get in the habit, uh, you're still going to make sometimes those choices, and that's fine. But if you become conscious, you'll make better choices more often.
0: That's graphic. Subtraction versus addition. Yes. <laughs> why, get into, why do something negative when you can do something positive? Goodness knows. Well, listen, thank you very much. Let's get a, one more note about it. We said it once before, but I think it's important because you've redone your website. You now have a more, more of a focus. So share that website with us. We're going to have that in the links as well. It's going to be right at the top of the links. And then with, with that, we'll wind up and close. So go ahead and tell us that if you will, please.
1: The Natural Wellness Academy is now the main website. So that's www.naturalwellnessacademy.org. If you want to know about the cannabis, we literally just launched that. So just go slash cannabis. I don't have it on the first page or under the courses. Um, So just slash cannabis for uh, that particular course. Um, And we have a lot of logs, a lot of recipes uh, on that website. And you'll be able to find everything there. If you're looking for um, a lot of inspiration, we're on um, Instagram, and also as Natural Wellness Academy. I think there's a dot between the two words. And then we're at Natural Wellness Academy on Facebook, too.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. LJ. We really, You're very welcome. Really appreciate you coming on board. You know, last time I didn't get a chance to see you in person. I don't remember what happened, but it's fun meeting you personally, and we really appreciate you coming on board. And if you and your husband dream up anything, you say, hey, your audience needs to hear this, you just give me a call. We'll get you back on, and we'll do it again sometime.
1: Great. Well, I'm excited that actually one of our graduates who has gone on to create a wonderful gut health specialization is going to be speaking to you pretty soon and sharing her information.
0: Yep. Yeah. She is Brittany Pendergast and she's going to be on episode 149, folks. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for referring her over. I look forward. I, got, I did a little preparation. I'm looking forward to talking to her as well. So, so thanks once again. You, you have a pleasant evening. Appreciate you coming right. on board. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.